Welcome to Wireless Conversations, the podcast that takes you from Montreal to London. We are your hosts, Iris and Nisi, and today's episode is dedicated to Black History Month. So to begin with, we are, yay, we are excited about this. And to start, we are going to uh, dive into a little bit of history. Uh, So what, what we need to know is that Black History Month first took place in 1970 Uh, in the U.S., but then it took another six years for uh, Black History Month to uh, begin to be celebrated annually all across the United States. And then in Canada, it was initiated in Parliament uh, by the Ontario Black History Society, and then it was officially introduced to Parliament in 1995 by Jean-Augustine, who was the first Black woman elected member of Parliament. Yes, look at us women changing stuff, Nisi. Yes, <laughs> loving it. And then we could talk about the UK. So Black History Month in London was actually initiated in 19, the 1980s. Um, and this month was obviously founded to recognize the, con- the contributions that Black um, or uh, African Caribbean uh, people have made to the UK over many generations. But now in the UK, Black History Month has actually expanded And it includes, um, well, celebration of African Caribbean people, but um, it also includes Black people in general. So Black History Month, as we can see, provides us an opportunity to celebrate, reflect, and even self-educate. Yes. Yeah, so I would like you, I would like you to actually tell us why is it important? Like, why is Black History Month important? Why are we discussing it? Well, that's actually a really good question. And um, I just want to start off by saying that Black History Month matters because it's powerful and it's an important time for people to truly recognize Black people and their contributions to society. Um, And this year, I can allow myself to say that it matters even more. And this is due to the events that went down in 2020. And I also want to mention that Black History Month is not just a month that we can all just take off the calendar and um, move on with our lives. We need to go beyond that. We need to reimagine a future where people will finally learn about our history. And we want them to learn about the history through our own words, through our own perspective. The other thing is that today, when we talk about Black Month, it's relevant because we need to educate ourselves. I think that education is crucial, obviously, because I think knowing the past can lead us to predict the future and sometimes even change it. And we need to continue to educate people and discuss topics such as white privilege, racism, and implicit biases. More importantly, I think it's actually a way of making sure that history doesn't repeat itself. And I can say that racism is a learned behavior. I mean, no child is actually born racist. Um, So we need parents to continue educating their children that living in a world where your classmate or the girl who is at the park or at the playground Even though she might not look like you or speak like you, it's actually a good thing. Differences um, should be celebrated. And I would say that it's obviously still important for us to celebrate Black History Month because um, it's a way for us to maintain relationships within the communities. So mainly the Black community, and it allows us to understand our history, the common heritage that we all share. And we're able to also recognize the things that make us different, but also unique at the same time. So it's a month of um, celebration of diversity as well. The other thing that I would want to mention is that, well, Black History Month allows us to get to know our neighbors. And I just want to bring up something that um, I thought was important to speak about. So there is this American psychologist whose name is Gordon Alport, and he talked about the contact hypothesis. Um, So his theory states that contact between two different groups can actually increase acceptance and tolerance. But when Black people want um, to celebrate themselves or diversity, it's not to say that we are asking you to recognize us and tolerate us or accept us. Um, In that sense, we just want to be treated equally. And I think that this month has got to be obviously something that we celebrate and take seriously. But um, Black history is forever. Black history is every day. So February is an important month to recognize that it's important to get to know your neighbors and at the same time validate um, the experience that 
everyone goes through in the communities as well. And the other thing is that Alport um, mentions a really important part. It's that even though contact with um, a diverse group or um, a group that is not similar to yours would maybe allow us to um, increase acceptance and tolerance within society, he actually furthers develops his theory by stating that um, this can only work when both groups feel that they are equal of status and share common goals. So we need to celebrate Black History Month every year because it's a way of us reminding people that we are here and we are contributing to society and that we do have a history. Um, so I think for me, it's a beautiful reminder. It's a good time for us to come together and celebrate um, our differences, but also the things that we all share. Girl, thank you so much. I cannot agree even more with you, with everything you just said. And I just love that you came in like a real scholar, like references, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so yes, girl. But to be, <laughs> I wanted to say like, to be honest, that Gordon Alpert thing. So um, it's uh, he, the psychologist, for me, it's a memory. So this is something that um, I learned in one of my social psychology classes. And I thought it was fascinating because I was like, contact hypothesis, we can end racism right now. We just need everyone to like get together, interact with each other, get to know each other. But it's not as easy as, as it sounds, right? Because um, this was probably in the 1950s when the theory came out and we're in 2021. And I mean, things are not really getting any better, not to be pessimistic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's important to remember that if we tolerate each other or accept each other, it's probably not enough. You need to get to know people and really um, get close to them. Yes, I cannot ag agree more with you, as I was saying. And it is fine that we notice or that we um, go back to like those notes that we had from college, uh, you know, and just take those concepts. And everything is easier in theory, right? All these theories are there and they have a solution. But then when you put it into practice... It ain't always easy. So yes, thank you so much, girl, for everything you just said. Because what else can I add? <laughs> what else can I add? And thank you so much for uh, sharing your experience as a Black woman and why Black History Month is important to you. And mm -hmm. um, I think that the audience needs to know that uh, I'm not Black. I'm a brown Latin ex. So I'm going to say like my point of view on why I think uh, Black History Month is important. Please do. <laughs> so my take on this uh, would be that it helps to deconstruct the internalized racism that we have as non-Black people and ask ourselves questions about which behaviors you have, okay, and that you can take action in order to change. Because we all want to fight racism, but we all need to understand that we have internalized racism, no matter who you are, you are Black, Asian, uh, Ara Arabic, uh, Muslim, you are, um, peu importe où tu viens. Sorry, that's French, but like I had to. So no matter where... <laughs> We love a little French. <laughs> yeah, so no matter where you're from, like you have an internalized racism. Why? Because colonialism and other stuff that make you believe that the group you belong to is better than another one. So when I mm. say that Black History Month helps you reflect on the internalized racism, this applies to all of the non-Black uh, people because we need to acknowledge how Black people are treated within our societies. And I can speak for the Latinx community and like people be acting as if Afro-Latinos or Afro-Latinx and Afro-Latinas are like something new. And it's not new. We all have someone in our family that is darker. I mean, I have Cuban blood. Of course, there's like some Afro-Cuban in there. So we all have that link to Black culture. And in the Latinx communities, Black culture is celebrated with merengue, with salsa, with reggaeton, with name all the music you love, all the food, and it comes from like those Afro-Latin roots, you know? And they mm -hmm. are the, the group that are mostly discriminated against in Latin America. Um, if you want to uh, learn a little bit more about that, there's a good documentary that talks about being Black in Latin America. It's called Black in Latin America, and it's available on YouTube. 
So I don't know if I answered your question properly, but it's it's so long and so complicated that I don't want to go into details. But that's what I want to say. Like, that's why as a community, it helps us deconstruct internalized racism. And it helps you see what are the behaviors that you had before that you need to change in order to take action and not speak uh, uh, and speak up, you know, uh, and not remain silent. Was that clear, Nisi? Let me know. A hundred percent. That was beautifully said. And I will be watching that YouTube documentary. Oh, yeah. it's And it's really good, honestly. And um, the second reason why, to me, it's important to celebrate Black History Month is that, as we all saw it, it allows us to see the, failu- the failure of our system. And yes, even right now, like, we're talking a lot with uh, about systemic racism, right, Nisi? And people don't yes. <laughs> and people don't seem to understand that systemic racism is not systematic racism. So we are going to clarify this for you, mi gente. So systematic racism is when the laws and the institution clearly, clearly discriminate against a group like during segregation or during um l'apartheid. I don't know how to say that in English. Can you say it in English for me? Because I said it in French. Yeah, it's apartheid. Okay, apartheid. So, but you know what's funny? My my Google is a British man. Okay, so <laughs> thank you, Google. He's like apartheid. <laughs> apartheid. So yeah, so that is what systematic racism is. Like the laws are, are written, and we are discriminating against one group, and that's what happened again uh, with segregation and apartheid. But uh, systemic racism is when, yeah, okay, the laws are not written clearly to discriminate against, but because of their structure, because of how they are constructed, and because of who is in charge of these institutions, and I mean, the shade is here, mostly it is white cisgendered men who are in power, well, of course you are going to see this systemic racism making its way in the institution that rules society. So, so yeah, that's the difference, okay? So we need to recognize the failure of our systems and it fails to provide safety and security to um, minority groups or a group that is the minority. And by the way, did you know that we are actually the global majority, we are not a minority. People of color and black people are not the minority in the world. We are the global majority. And I rather that that um, that term rather than minority. So now I'm going to say global majority because that's what we are. I love that. <laughs> let's, let's leave it that way. Yes. And my third point would be that it allows you to actually... Um, understand what it is to be an ally to those who are facing these discrimination on a daily basis and be part of a movement of change. And, oh, I almost lost my voice. But um, (laughs) in order to be a change and be able to um, uh, help uh, those who don't have a voice, you have to say it when something that was said is wrong you have you cannot remain silent because we saw what silence do and it's not pretty we need to speak up and that's why this podcast is here so yeah nisi that's that those would be the reasons why celebrating black history month like are important is important is important i guess you know you said well i don't know if i can add anything but you just added three valid points that I think everyone needs to hear that Black History Month is not just important because you're Black. Black History Month is important for the world, for the society that we're currently living in. Everyone needs to um, remember that there has a lot of, you know, there were a lot of things that happened in the past, but unfortunately we're still reliving them. So it's almost like we need to always come back to that history and we don't want to erase it. We actually want to... um, change it in a sense we want to change the future for black people and i think it's important for us to talk about it and 
we can't talk about the positive without the negatives, right? So we're going to have to talk about the history, but hopefully we get to the positive part where we're seeing the future differently. So I guess in this podcast, we want to address two different things, um, and it's racism. So simply put, racism is thinking that some people are worth more than others, and that's based on their skin color or culture. And the other thing that you also talked about a little bit, or actually a lot, because you went into it and explained it really well, it's systemic racism, which is also referred to as institutional racism. So we'll get a little bit more into that, but we wanted to give you a brief of the history and why we think it's important for us to, um, I guess, celebrate Black History Month and dedicate this episode to this beautiful month. Yes, February. I love this month. Remember that. <laughs> oh, fun fact. I completely forgot to mention um, in the UK, it's actually celebrating October. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I was surprised when you told me that, like, because everywhere, like in North America, it's February, but you, it's October. I yeah. think it's great. Me too. I was like, uh, <laughs> when I moved here first year, it was like October. And then I'm seeing stuff like Black History Month. I'm like, wait, we missed it. That was like <laughs> a few months ago, but no. That is it. Yeah, I was, I was a little lost. And then I was like, okay, I'm on track now. I know every, I got to celebrate both. Now I'm celebrating Feb and October, and I'm happy about that. So it's I'm going to be celebrating with you next October. Trust me. Don't worry. Yes, and please. actually, Come visit me. actually, that's one thing we want to um, underline. <laughs> okay. This part of the episode is really important. Black History Month is not only in February or in October or whatever month it is in wherever you are in the world. Okay. It's every day. Celebrate black culture celebrate black people because yo their contribution culture would be nothing without black people i mean que lo que mi gente you think we would have salsa no we won't you think we would have merengue no we wouldn't you think we would have platanos con congri no we wouldn't so thank you so much there you go that was my little parenthesis <laughs> nisi we just talked about racism we defined what systematic and systemic racism was so now that we have defined um, what racism and what systemic racism is, how do you see it come across while living in London? Mm. I feel like I haven't lived here like long enough, um, especially with the pandemic, to kind of interact with different people that live here or just go around and speak to um, like different members of my neighborhood or the community that I live in. But I think from what you see in the news, from what you're reading, and just from how people carry each other, um, you can kind of sense what's going on. And what I see is that systemic racism actually impacts a huge number of people, not just in London, but also in the UK. But this is more obvious when we're looking at the wealth gap between, I guess, white, fa white families and black families. So for example, a study that came out today, actually, um, I thought I need to talk about this. So it's a study done by Bristol University and they are exposing this inequality that's happening right now. So what they found is that people who are on low income um, are actually the ones paying more for essentials such as electricity and gas. And to me, I was like, <laughs> I was speechless. Um, I didn't understand it. So I kind of read a bit more into it. And they also mentioned that this happens when they're trying to obtain credit or loans. And sadly, well, banks are not going to make it easier for them to obtain any credit because they tend to end up in situations that contribute or lead them to have debt problems, obviously. So if you're on low income, you're obviously struggling with money. Um, so this is what we call the poverty premium. Um, also, I just yes. want to say that when we talk about people on low income, Keep in mind that these are the people who are a part of the BAME community. So BAME stands for Black, Asian, Minority, Ethnic. Um, so this is the, I guess, BIPOC definition in the UK. Instead of saying BIPOC, you would say BAME. Um, and well, That's interesting. Is, yeah. <laughs> I was like, what is BAME? <laughs> but th these are all things that I'm learning from living abroad. So woohoo, go me. Um, <laughs> I'm learning them because you live abroad. I'm living this. I'm living this. Are you living through me? <laughs> What's the expression? I'm living vicariously through you. Yes. There you go. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and just to pick up where I was, so talking about the BAME community and low income, um, that's just an example of how people are being punished by the system. 
and corporations such as banks. Um, and let's not forget that the same group of people were actually uh, people that were impacted the most by the pandemic. So you can see a higher rate of um, death within these communities, higher rate of unemployment, and the list can go on. So it's almost like we're expecting people to come out of it like that, wake up and you're no longer poor, yet the system keeps pushing you down and it just keeps burying you. Um, so it, it can be quite difficult. And for me, I was thinking, well, if you're in this circumstance and you have to pay twice or, um, you know, the bank has to, you need to make a deposit in order to get a loan, how, 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 is, how are you ever going to get there? So for me, it's just realizing that sometimes the system is against you at the end of the day. And as much as like we love to say it, you can really see it. You just have to look. <laughs> we, we definitely, we definitely can see it. And it's even more obvious when you are part of the BAME community, because mm -hmm. we'll talk about it later. But yes, when you are white, and I don't know what that experience is, but definitely the world is a bit smoother because of your skin color. Exactly. Yes. And to me, it's always been like really difficult to understand. Sometimes I feel like a child who doesn't understand a concept because How can somebody not like me or not think that I'm worth um, something just because of my skin color? Like, I can't change that whatsoever. So sometimes I really do feel like a child who's like, well, can somebody explain it to me? Because I just don't get it. And I, I don't think I ever will. But I guess the older you get, the more you, you experience and the more you come to understand it. But I just can't come to terms with that. I don't think I ever will, to be honest. I don't think anyone can, honestly. As we said, there is racism and colorism within our own communities, Latin American, and just being like, ah, pero esto, que no sé qué, que no sé, ah, la raza. Like, no, being Hispanic is not a race. I'm just saying out there to all my Latinx, it's an ethnicity. It's not a race. <laughs> Bref, <laughs> passons, but like all that to say that that's why it's really important that we continue to acknowledge what are the disparities within BAME communities and white communities. Exactly. Look at me using, using London lingo. I love it. <laughs> BAME. <laughs> <laughs> All right, keep, keep going, girl. So yeah, another, another thing that I would just like to point out is surveillance or policing. Obviously, if you're white, you probably never have to worry about being watched by the police. Um, but it's actually opposite when you're black because, well, at the end of the day, we have seen what the police um, is doing to the community. And even worse, when a black person encounters a cop, I think the first thing is you start imagining the worst case scenario. What's going to happen? Am I getting arrested? And to be honest, it kind of feels like we're always living in fear of the people that should be protecting us. So I think that's a huge problem as well. And Black people have, you know, bigger or a larger amount of encounters with cops, which are completely unwanted, undesired. It's not like every time you cross the street, you want to be stopped or looked at. A lot of people are just minding their business, going by their day. And the second that you look like you did something wrong, well, guess what? You might be stopped and things might not end well for you. And for me, that constant fear of if I'm walking around in a neighborhood that's majority white and I'm the only black person, what's going to happen to me? I don't know. I just, I, I don't want to live in that fear anymore. And I think it's important for us to express it when we feel it. And at the end of the day, you can also look at the stats in the UK What's happening is that Black people are 10 times more likely to be stopped and searched by the police. In London, they're four times more likely to be stopped. That's just crazy to me. That's, that's insane. That's insane. Yeah. Oh, keep going. Keep going. <laughs> I was just agreeing with you that it was insane. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other, the other thing is that we could talk about is um, not only are we saying that you know, a lot of people in the BAME community or some people in the BAME community might be um, on low income. It's also what's happening in the job markets. So if you look at applicants, um, you could be qualified. You could have the same degree, the same education as a um, white applicant. But because of your name, you might not get the job or because of your name, you might not even get a response. So there are so many reasons or so many things happening 
um, that we have to acknowledge that the system is not always made to favor um, people who are in these communities. And at the end of the day, I think it's about acknowledging it. So if somebody tells you that they feel that they're being treated unfairly, what you should do is listen. Don't listen to respond. Don't listen to um, kind of defend yourself. I think it's important for us to listen to people and kind of look at what we can do to become an ally, like you mentioned. And how do we do that? Well, we'll probably talk about that. Yes, we are going to talk about that by the end of the episode, that is for sure. Actually, what you need to know is that in Montreal, you end up seeing it um, even more. And the thing here is that people people and the government don't want to recognize that there is systemic racism, but there is a case that actually is now the actuality um, and is has been, you, you know, the, the topic of... Um, uh, the the daily news and uh, the topic in many media sources. And it's the case of Mamadi Kamara, uh, who was uh, arrested uh, wrongly by the police in Montreal and being accused that he, um, being accused of being violent towards a police officer. Um, so Uh, that happened and he was wrongly accused of that. The thing that happened is that he was given a ticket by a police uh, officer for um, using his phone uh, while driving. And then he got his ticket. And uh, according to an interview that Mr. Kamara did, uh, he was going to leave. But then the police that just gave him the ticket got hit on the head uh, by someone And then when Mr. Kamara was on his way to his house, uh, apparently the police officer, when he recovered, was like, oh, it must be the last person to who I gave a ticket. So the police had all of the information of uh, Mr. Kamara. And as he got home, while he got arrested, um, his wife uh, got um, uh, kicked out of the apartment. They searched the apartment building for him and for weapons and stuff like that. He stayed in jail for six days and he did not have access to a phone. In the interview he did at Tout le monde en parle, he uh, stated that he was not allowed to call anybody and uh, and stayed six days um, in jail. And um, That is how you see systemic racism taking place here in Montreal. You see it with the incident with Mamadi Kamara. And the thing with Mr. Kamara is that he went to um, this show called Tout le monde en parle, uh, which means everybody's talking about it for my non-French speakers. And uh, what you have to know is that the host, Guilla Lepage, he has this co-host that they call Le Fou du Roi, which means... Uh, the King's Fool, right, Nisi? Yes. Would that be it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so The King's Fool, and his name is um, Danny Turcotte. And Danny Turcotte is known for always ending the interviews in very shocking ways and giving a question to the guest that is not even on topic sometimes. And the thing with, with the interview with Mr. Kamara is that when you hear him and you see him, you see the trauma on his face. And Denis Turcotte did something that only a white, <laughs> a gay, wild, cisgender, privileged man can do. He sat on top of his privilege and asked Mr. Kamara if he was gonna still use his phone while driving. After this man just talked about his trauma of being put in jail and beaten down by the police, And that is why Black History Month and talking about race, racism, race relations, systemic racism is important even still today as we are going through this pandemic. And I feel like people are a bit fed up of hearing about this because usually we would go on with our daily lives. But now, like with this pandemic, we are at home. We don't have a choice to but to get educated and see what's happening out there. So, yeah, I mean, those issues were always there. And I feel like now with the pandemic, it's even more present. Mm. What do you feel about that? No, I, I definitely agree that 
most of the time when we hear about incidents such as um, the one that you just named, Monsieur Camara, I think we read about it, you're shocked, maybe you're upset, and you close your phone, look away, and move on with your life. But now I think it's just becoming harder, not just because we're stuck at home, because it's something that just, there's no end to it. It feels like we're Definitely. reliving the same event over and over, and it's so traumatic. And it's not just traumatic for the person experiencing it. And I'm not taking that away from them. It's traumatic for the community. It's traumatic for the person who's thinking, am I next? If I get stopped, exactly. will the same thing happen to me? So, yes, yeah, there's just no way of escaping. And I think we need to keep talking about it. I don't care if I, I will say it over and over again until I get sick, because at least somebody new or somebody who hasn't actually thought about this topic might hear it the second time or the third time that I say it. So I think it's important for us to keep mentioning it, to keep educating ourselves. And as sickening as it is, reading all these news articles and hearing about these stories, I think it should bring, it shouldn't desensitize us. It should bring even more awareness and it should bring us together to want to kind of change things. And that is why education is important. And that is why we need to speak up about these matters. And I cannot agree even more with what you said, girl, like everything is so pertinent right now. And um, I feel like we need to continue this discussion. And I would like to know, um, Nisi, um, you grew up a little bit <laughs> scattered in, in scattered places around the world. And then you ended up in uh, New Brunswick, Canada. So I would like to know How was it to grow up there? Mm. And how was it to be acquainted with racism? Like, how <laughs> did you first started to notice that that was a thing? Yeah, so growing up in New Brunswick, actually Moncton to be specific, a small town, um, I would say relatively. It, uh, I'm going to say that, you know, it was majority white. My school, I was... Sometimes I think I was the only black girl or the only student in my classrooms. Sometimes we were about two. Um, so it was kind of, um, it was, it's a situation where sometimes you feel like you're forced to assimilate instead of integrate, if I can say that. So there was a lot of like casual racism that I didn't necessarily pay attention to or didn't realize that it was casual racism because when you assimilate, you tend to, view things from their side, right? So if a comic comes out, you're not really going to see it as a potential insult, even though you feel like, ooh, that didn't feel right. Kind of hurts a little to hear that. You're not going to take it that way because you're trying to see it from their end. Um, so yeah, it was living in a, in a small town, you do encounter a lot of casual or culvert um, racism. So kind of like subtle hidden racism which I find Canada's yeah. known for. <laughs> yeah, Canada Canada is known for what is called <clears throat> microaggressions. There you go. And I will actually, <laughs> I, I'm going to just touch on that a little bit as well. Um, and basically, with time, I guess living in a small town, moving to Montreal, which is a, a larger city, a big city actually, with um, where you get to know people from different backgrounds, different cultures, and kind of learn to accept yourself for who you are and not necessarily assimilate, but really integrate yourself into a city that is just so colorful and um, like just culturally rich. It made me realize that a lot of the stuff that I heard growing up were microaggressions or just casual racism. So when people would say comments like, oh, you're so white or you're the whitest black girl we know or you're such an oreo these are all comments that i heard but i was i wasn't trying to see them that way but it's like you grow up and you experience things like i've said and they start to make sense to you and you're like wait a minute those were microaggressions or that was casual racism or this person didn't actually it wasn't a joke there was a little bit of an insult behind it so yeah it's now that i look back i'm like hmm there are a few people that i can name but i won't do that <laughs> I hope you're listening. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they're like, mm -mm, mm -mm, I don't want to be named. Mm -mm, I hope she ain't talking about me. Mm -mm. 
I hope you're listening. Because <laughs> I've got a full list. I'm kidding. But um, so this happens when people are making fun of our names or make comments such as, oh, your heart, your name's so hard to pronounce. Can I just call you this or that? Or, But yeah, so it's like looking back, little did you know that all these things that you heard growing up or these comments were actually going to affect your interactions with people later. And it was only like through therapy where I was trying to find my identity. Because like I said, if you're assimilating yourself, you kind of lose a part of yourself. You're just trying to see things from a white person's perspective. So trying to find myself, go into therapy, has made me realize that these comments, these interactions that I had that were maybe not meant to cause any harm actually did. Um, and we kind of need to stop this kind of behavior. We, we need to, you know what I mean? If you know that there's a there's an insult behind what you're going to say, just don't say it. If you're making comments that you know that might come off as insulting, you should be ready to correct yourself. Just to finish off, it's like microaggressions are real. And um, at the same time, these things that you're saying to a young child who doesn't necessarily know themselves yet or doesn't identify um, with their own community, like I, I didn't identify that much with my own community because you're growing up in a white neighborhood. Um, so the white gaze has definitely affected me, the way that I interact with people, the way that I still behave today. And it's something that I'm working on. But all I just want to say, I just want to say that it's important for us to think before you act. If you think that what you're going to say is going to cause some harm or somebody to question themselves, I would just not say it at all. And at the end of the day, microaggressions are not just sensitive comments. Most of the time they do contain hidden insults about a group of people or a stereotype. So do be careful with those. Those are the reasons why like Black History Month is important, why sharing with one another is important, and why you need to listen when someone talks to you about their experience. And I want to thank you so much for sharing your experiences because um, I want our listeners to know that these are real things that we went through and even talking about them it's almost like you relive them and it is hurtful and it is it traumatizing is. and at the end of the day sometimes I question myself and I'm like but I want to have a daughter or a son in a world that has made me experience such in like such things such events probably not so it's important for you to try to put yourself in our shoes and just see why we think this is really important and as a conversation, it is so, so important to have, even though it's uncomfortable. Sometimes your voice is shaking. Sometimes you don't know how to express yourself or you're shocked. But just expressing it really helps. And I think that's how we were able to heal by just talking about it, by going to therapy, by expressing it like we are now. So I hope that can help yes. other people that feel like they went through some traumatic events um, or events or situations where they felt like they were treated une uh, um, unequally. and they didn't express it then, but they regret it. So I think it's important to just open up as much as you can with the people that you feel that are there to listen to you, that love you and that want to support you. Yes, I agree 100% with you. And you are right. Like re-saying these stuff, I think that like, I know that our audience, like you cannot see us, but I, I see Nisi through my screen and she sees me and we see the emotion, we see the the anger, we see the tears coming up and we see all that passion. So, so yeah. And I, I, I hope that if you lived, um, some microaggressions, um, that you are capable of healing them. And, uh, and if not yet, if you're not there yet in your journey, know that it's coming and at some point you will be able to heal. But for now, just, I don't even know how to say it because like that's the thing is that you leave you live these things and you don't even know that they're traumas until you are grown enough to be like, whoa, these are traumas that I have. Yeah. And because of who I am and because of where I grew up and because or where I went to school or with who I was hanging out with. So all of these things happen. And you don't even realize that they are traumatic events. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it, thank it, you so much for, for this, honestly. 
Thank you. I hope that, um, I don't know, for me sharing it with you, I feel like a bit lighter as well. I don't know why, but I hope you feel the same. This was full on therapy. <laughs> yeah, for real. Hello. Yeah, like my, my psychologist is going to be like, oh, hell no, girl. You didn't start this podcast to ditch me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Nisi's my new therapist. <laughs> so, all right. So we've talked, look, we, we've talked about our experiences, but there's only so much we can say about our experiences because I think it's it's still going on. Like it still happens until this day. So Nisi, before we wrap up, how can we educate people about racism? Like, tell me. Well, I think we talked a lot about education and we can't stress it enough. Um, if, <laughs> yes. Like, I don't know how many times we've said education, but I think by educating yourself and putting yourself in situations that might feel uncomfortable. So learning to be comfortable uh, in the uncomfortable is really important because it's almost like we're the ones that have always had to learn to kind of bend ourselves and mold ourselves to please others. And I'm not saying white people should do the same. I'm just thinking that they should meet us halfway. So by educating yourself, yes. you will become a better listener. You will become a better ally and you can actually change things. And I think it's also about, well, everything is political. So you need to start voting for people that protect our lives as well. What do you think? Uh, I think I, I cannot, like, what else can I add? Because this is very true. We need to well, vote for the officials that are going to represent who we are as a society. And we saw what happens when, when we're like, oh, okay, I don't need to vote that much. And like, look, look at what happened in the US and look at what's happening here in Quebec. Because <sighs> oh. I think we irritated, uh, we irritated from his um, long lost cousin. Uh, <laughs> Anyways, I don't even want to say his name because just his name is irritating. So if you want to know who the prime minister of Quebec is, Google it. <laughs> so, yeah. And I think the other thing is like we need to start um, having uncomfortable conversations. Maybe it'll start with us. Maybe you will listen to us and realize, oh, wow, that's a conversation I should have had a long time ago with someone who made me feel a certain way or just a friend or um, my mother, I want to express this to someone, this painful experience that I've gone through. Um, conversations are actually like, they're he they heal. I think just talking about things is the only way to really get over them or um, recover from them. And so if you educate yourself and you're able to talk about the things that you've learned, I think you're already doing great. Right now, I'm just agreeing with everything you're saying. I, yeah, I'm agreeing with everything you're saying. And... How about, so if we were to um, educate ourselves, maybe have these conversations, how do you think we can move forward then? Uh, how can we move forward? I think we said it, you know, we need to acknowledge and admit when we mess up. Mm -hmm. It's about accountability and be responsible for the things that we say and do. Uh, because I'm not going to act as if I never did did a mistake. Of course I had my mistakes. And I, I, I remember like growing up, I was hearing different things from my family. Like, why is it wrong? Why is it this? And, and, and then you go into the world and realize that, well, actually it's not like that. And it, it actually, what you're saying, is not true. And well, mm, um, let, let me, I'm not sure about that. So it's important to question and have those conversations. Mm -hmm. And, uh, as Nisi said, it's also super important, as you mentioned, Nisi, in the first segment of this episode. Well, we need to learn from the in interactions that we have and accept the fact that it's uncomfortable. We also, mi gente, <laughs> you need to uh, hire, okay, people of color. Because <laughs> we smart. We are, like, right now, that's all you see, like, oh, we are descendants bank and we want to prone diversity. And then you look at their board of directors and they're all white. Where is the diversity? Mm -hmm. You know? It's true. I want to say that we need to walk the talk. A lot of companies preach about diversity, inclusion, all these things. And at the end of the day, I'm not seeing another Black person on the team, on the 
board of directors. So what I'm wondering is, if you are for diversity and inclusion, should you only talk about it when you have people of color in the team? Because if you don't, you shouldn't be preaching about it. It's false marketing. <laughs> and we will bring to the table issues that are uncomfortable for your organization or company, but that's how you make it stronger. That's how your message goes through. And that is how people in the community get to respect you as well. Because if you show, show up with only like your, your white people in a community where like there's no white people, well, I mean, what are you going to do? Like, what you going to do? <laughs> Anyways, so yeah. So hire people of color. And also, it's important to notice when and how racism plays out in your life and how it affects you. It's important to recognize it. How have you inter internalized it? And how can you how can you counter effect it? I don't know what it is that I'm trying to say, but how can you counter it? Yeah. How can you make sure that you don't have biases? Let's say I'm on a hiring committee and all I've heard is that, I don't know, um, I'm going to speak for my people. Oh, Latinos are very lazy. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's true. Latinos are lazy and I'm Latina. So whenever I see a Latino name, I'm going to put it aside. No, I mean, look at your own biases. And by the way, that is a bias I had for the longest time. Latino people are lazy, but it's not true. We ain't lazy because trust me, I'm lazy on my time, but not all the time. <laughs> but it's a stereotype. And how, how have I internalized it? Oh, like that, that it, it, could, it could influence a very critical decision that I need to make. So put your biases aside and acknowledge what are your strengths and weaknesses uh, facing that bias that you have. So that is how I think we can move forward, Nisi. And let me know, girl, how can we support our BIPOC or BAME communities? <laughs> well, I think we could be supportive as simple as that i know it sounds redundant but it's important to contribute to um you know different organizations within your communities whether this is with your time or funds i think it's important to look around you and where you live not everyone has the same rights not everyone has um, the same privileges as you so it's if you want to support um or become an ally it's not just through posting um I don't know, some infographic on Instagram. It's also being able to go and volunteer and, you know, just um, give out funds to people that actually need them. The other thing that we could be doing is listen. We've, I don't know how many times we also, <laughs> I think this whole episode <laughs> should be listen, educate, or educate and listen. <laughs> so yeah, just listen. Pretty to much. <laughs> So yeah, just listening to people and don't listen just to respond because we do that a lot. I feel like we live in a society where we have to be efficient and productive all the time, even in our conversations. So when we're talking to someone, it's almost like we're, we don't wait until they finish your sentence or we don't even analyze their, their verbal communication to us. It's just like, okay, I want to answer you. Let's get it over with. So I think we need to work a little bit on that, myself included, but I definitely think that this has created more issues because if communities are not able to communicate or um, interact with each other, then I don't know how we're ever going to reach that level where everyone feels accepted and treated equally. And the other thing is that I think we should all just be curious and keep educating ourselves. This is redundant, but racism <laughs> or inequality is everyone's problem. It's not just Black people that experience inequality. So there are many resources out there. And what I want to say is that it's not a Black person's job to teach you how they should be treated. You should also look into it and realize that you play a bigger role as well. So you get what you give in this world, right? Can, can you say it louder for your people at the back? <laughs> it is not a Black person's job to teach you how they should be treated. Gracias. <laughs> and the last thing is continue the conversation. Keep having them. As uncomfortable as they are, we need to keep having these conversations. And I know you're probably tired of hearing people talk about racism, inequality. And it sounds like the more we talk about it, the less efficient we're becoming at fixing the problem. But no, that's not true. You bring up more awareness. 
And guess what? We will eventually act on it. But for now, I think it's being comfortable with the realization that this does exist. It's real and it's happening. Wow, that was beautifully said, Nisi. You are like, you're the best. Thank you so much for this. Um, and thank you so much for this conversation. We hope you enjoyed getting deeper into this conversation, hearing about racism, our experiences, and how it is impacting us in London and in Montreal. So um, let's see. Um, what are we going to be talking about next episode, Nisi? Um, well, we can give everyone a hint. March is <laughs> Women's History Month. So we'll see. Stay tuned. <laughs> But that's all I can say for now. So yeah, we're going uh, to end this conversation with a question for y'all. Because as you know, we are curious about our audience. Mm -hmm. And we would like to know, what did you learn about this conversation? And how did it make you feel? Did, you, did it make you feel uncomfortable? Did it make you feel good? Let us know. You can let us know by emailing us at wirelessconversation at gmail.com. You can also slide in our DMs <laughs> to answer this question. You can also follow us on IG, Facebook, Twitter. We need to get on Twitter, Nisi. <laughs> at Wireless Conversations. <laughs> And you can also find Wireless Conversation wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Maybe Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Play. We are on it. So... Thank you so much for tuning in and we hope we'll get to see you or hear from you in our next episode. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you. Bye. Bye. With Iris and Missy.